Welcome to Sidewalk Talk. I'm Steve Fortunato, founder of Shovel the Sidewalk. We're a marketing firm in Buffalo, New York. We build brands and create advertising, utilizing authentic storytelling for small businesses. And thus, we have Sidewalk Talk, which is an opportunity for thought leaders in Western New York to tell their story and see if anybody finds any of that information useful. So far, we found a lot of people that have a lot of great stories. And uh, today, I'm real excited. Tom Colson, you want to go by Tom or Thomas? Tom. Tom is great. Uh, he is a, a lawyer and with a lot a, a really crazy background here. And I want to get into it, but he's with Executive IP. We'll get into what that's about, which is it started as the fundamentals of intellectual property, yep. teaching that. Right. We want to talk about that because we're going to talk about the importance of IP, intellectual property, uh, patents, copyright, all that stuff for small businesses. If you own a small business, you're thinking about starting a business, this is the information you're going to want to hear. If you're considering law school down the road, you're a younger person, I want you to hear this story too, and that's where we're going to start. So you're a, a Buffalo native, went to high school at... Two high schools. I okay. went to Sweet Home High School, mm -hmm. then I went to Canisius High School. So I finished at Canisius High School. Okay, in college. Yeah. Canisius College. Pre-law? or how did No, no. How I, that yeah, sort of. I was yeah. political science major my first time around in undergrad. Then I went to law school at UB. Actually, I went to law school at Albany Law School first, then I transferred to UB. Then I, after law school, I went back to UB to get a chemistry degree. Yeah, which is really different. I don't saw why. Yeah, so I was a lawyer, and like every lawyer has a philosophy degree, history, political science, some kind of humanities, and hardly any of them have science degrees. So I thought I was kind of diminished that I had no science degree. So I happened to go to the Epcot Center with my brother and a friend, and we went to the Future Worlds exhibit, which is really cool. And everything in the future was science. Like even to be a farmer, you had to have like a genetics degree. And I'm sitting here with a political science degree. So I got back like January 12th and I signed up for my first class at UB like January 20th. And then I went through for four years while I was in the DA's office prosecuting criminals, I'd spend my nights studying chemistry till I got my chemistry degree. So I'd literally be on trial. I'd be on like a burglary trial or a robbery trial, waiting for the jury to come back, flipping through organic chemistry flashcards, then racing down the street to get to UB. So my schedule is basically work all day, five nights a week I'm in class, all day Saturday, all day Sunday I'm studying for four years until I got my, uh, finished my chemistry degree. What, what have you utilized the chemistry degree Patents. For? So you cannot be a patent lawyer unless you have a science degree. So there's like 5,000 lawyers in Western New York, there's like 50 patent lawyers because a prerequisite to being a patent lawyer is an engineering degree, computer science, chemistry in my case, biology, but you need a hard science degree or you can't be a patent lawyer. So I thought it would differentiate me because I was already a litigator. I was in the DA's office trying cases. Most people go to undergrad for engineering or something, then go to law school, then become what's called a patent prosecutor. That's basically someone who writes patent applications and prosecutes them with the patent office. There's another group of patent lawyers called patent litigators. That's what I was. After people get patents, they fight about them in court and they need people like me to go into the courtroom. So I spent my legal career in the courtroom, first prosecuting criminals, and then litigating intellectual property cases like patents, copyrights, trademarks, trade secrets, and that sort of thing. When you went for your chemistry degree, there was 
that was your reasoning then? You knew that you wanted to be a patent? No, not exactly. I was thinking, well, there was also environmental law. I oh. thought that would be pretty cool because I had worked on the Love Canal Task Force earlier in my career, and I thought you should have a science degree for that. So I thought I'd either do environmental law, I would do patent law, or I had aspirational desires to be a science fiction writer. So I thought, who knows, maybe I could do that. But that didn't pan out. <laughs> it's harder to become a science fiction writer than you think. So anyway, patent law seemed to be the most appropriate, and I got into a firm with my former mentor, Dan Oliverio, who taught me how to become a great writer, and he taught me patent law. So I litigated with him for a while, and that was pretty much, I went through my patent litigation career in Western New York. I, feel, I don't know, I've, I've known you, we've been for five minutes. Okay? <laughs> um, a little bit, a couple minutes before the fact. Right, right, yeah. But, seven minutes. Yeah, okay, seven. Right. Give it seven, but it, but it strikes me. I th I'm, I'm assuming my gut's telling me you like to learn. Oh, you, yeah, yeah, That's yeah, what you're yeah. all about, right? Yeah, you, well, if you want to be in business, if you want to be in law, you have to be really enthusiastic about learning, certainly about your industry, right? Yeah. you got to become an expert on everything about your industry. As you know, you probably know everything about marketing. Mm -hmm. So you're, I still want to get into this, uh, the, the IP stuff for business sure. and small business, but before we get there, let's talk about So you are, you're a lawyer, okay, but you're also a business owner. You right. had... IP.com. Originally, that was yeah. my first venture out of law into business was IP.com. So I was uh, general counsel for a company, a local manufacturer, actually international manufacturer, okay. but locally yeah. based. Yeah. And the CEO and I, this British guy, became buddies. He's maybe 20 years older than I was. I think I was like in my early 30s, maybe mid-30s. And he suggested that I had a good personality for business. And he said, you got to get into business. So I said, well, how do I do that? And he said, get a sales job, any sales job. So I sent my resume out. I got an interview for a sales job. I became a cold caller. So I went from being a lawyer, general counsel, which whether it's, whether it's justified or not, it's a position of authority, right? To a cold caller, which is like the lowest possible position. It shouldn't be. It's a valuable role, but no one values it. In fact, it was so humbling. I was married at the time, and it took my wife three years before she would acknowledge to people that I wasn't a lawyer. <laughs> because number one, I don't think she knew what I did, but, and it was easy to say a lawyer, but two, she, was, she valued being married to a guy who's a lawyer. And now I'm in sales. So I got into this company, IP.com. Actually, it was previously uh, Manning and Napier Information Services. So I joined on as a sales guy, and there was above me was a VP of sales. Above him was a president and above him was a CEO and this is a Rochester company and my boss was in Colorado Springs so he wasn't around during the time of the holiday party so we had a holiday party and each group had to speak at the holiday party and there was like 200 people there and he called me and asked if I would speak in front of the party for sales team so I went and I was a lawyer so I could already public speak so when I went the shareholders were there I had never even met them and after I finished my eight or 10 minute speech, the whole place like erupted in a standing ovation. Then the shareholder spoke after me and he quoted me. Then people were coming up to me like days after trying to figure out who I was and what I did. So one thing led to another and I became the president of my division, which was the intellectual property division. And my brother, Mike, who I got involved, became the CEO of the whole company. So then we spun my little division out like 20 minutes before the dot-com crash. We got a $7 million investment to create IP.com. 
for 20% of the business. So we got a venture firm in Pittsburgh to invest $7 million for 20% of the business into this little spin out of IP.com, which is essentially a software company for you know, managing patents. Yeah. Essentially that. Right. So that got me out of law then, and now I was the CEO of this small company, IP.com, where we were essentially selling all over the US, Europe, and, and Asia. So it, it broke me out of Western New York. So now I still live here, but it gave me an opportunity to see the world, the business world internationally, which was a big change in my like, perspective. So you're, you're still a lawyer. What's the term for that? You're not an acting? You weren't, you weren't a practicing okay, lawyer? Okay, so for years, you you're right. So for years with IP.com, because we were a small company, I played two roles, CEO and general counsel. Yeah. So I did all the legal work for the company and I, I managed outside counsel. I was also of counsel to a local patent firm just to keep myself in the world of patents. So I was always of counsel to this firm. So until six months ago, I hadn't even had a law firm, but six months ago, I just launched a law firm as well. So, but that's something that, we can talk about after IP.com, which was like 10 years. I spent 10 years at IP.com building that software company, and I finally flipped my interest in it in um, end of 2011. Gotcha. So would you say then the most valuable piece of advice you received was to take that sales job? Not it was sales. Of, but no, you it was sales. sales. You are, yeah, because everything, the most important role in a company is sales. Yeah, if, if you don't have sales, you have nobody. Nobody has a job without sales, which always frustrates me when people devalue sales professionals because if you, I mean, if you're not bringing in money, what are you doing? There's no lawyers in the company, no accountants, no senior managers, no HR. Nobody exists in a company without sales. So starting me with sales was brilliant advice that this guy gave me. And how long were you the cold caller guy? Well, I was a sales guy for about eight months before I took over the division and then went and got the outside funding. So if regular sales professionals are watching, they will be, you know, just totally looking down on me because I'm saying I'm a sales guy, but I really wasn't. I only spent eight months as a regular salesperson, but now I spend most of my, my non- CEO type role managing and working with salespeople just because I'm like the domain guy. So I help support sales. I mean, as a business owner, whether you, you own you know, a law firm, uh, um, a training company, you own, if you're a dentist, aren't we all in sales? Absolutely. Well, well no, 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 no. Let me take that back. We are either in sales or sales support. There's two roles in a company, in my opinion. You are either selling or you're supporting the people who are selling. So if you're in a small business, and because one thing is people say, oh, I've been selling my whole life. And I always think, oh, you really haven't because sales is getting appointments set up, going out and making the pitch, getting a contract in front of them, follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up to get a contract signed. And that's a sales professional. Everyone else around them is sales support. So yeah, you're salesy, hey Kylie, you're salesy, but you're not actually in sales unless you're the one banging the phones or going down and getting contracts signed. But yes, yeah, so if you're an engineer building product, you're sales support. If you're the CEO, I'm CEO, I'm sales support. So my salespeople out there in this office, I work for them. Got it. Good. Okay. All right. So now you have the other company that we just found out about, the law firm. So yeah. So okay. So I, I did, okay. So. IP.com was about a 10-year yeah, journey. Right. And 
around 2010, right around the time I needed a divorce from my wife, mm -hmm. I needed a divorce from my shareholders. Okay. So I had been at, speaking at a conference in Taiwan, and after I finished speaking about IP fundamentals, a bunch of government guys came up to me and they said, you know, we love what you're doing. Can you become the face for IP in Taiwan? And I thought, yeah, that sounds great. So we put a proposal together to create a training program for all of the engineers and scientists in Taiwan, which was promptly rejected. But I liked the idea. So I went to my shareholders in 2010 and pitched them on the idea of creating a corporate training company. And they thought it was too far afield from what we were doing, so they rejected me. So then I started looking around for somebody who might be willing to invest in this venture, and I found three prospects. A guy in Syracuse, New York, who I got to be friends with over the years, a guy in India, and a guy in France. A guy in Syracuse ended up getting leukemia and falling out of the equation. The guy in India ended up deciding to invest in cybersecurity instead. And the guy in France became the perfect partner because they were already in the business of intellectual property software. They were already growing. And we were creating intellectual property fundamentals training. And in order to understand the value of not only patent lawyers, but software to support the patent industry, you need to understand what intellectual property is, right? So for us to create intellectual property fundamentals training was a perfect match for them. So they agreed to invest a little bit of money and we launched this new business, which we call Executive IP, on February 1st, 2012. Got it. And so how does that lead to the law firm? Okay, so, so we start with Executive IP and we're building yeah. corporate training. And our parent company is growing really fast. They're buying up companies. And they bought up one company that, has a, that is in India that drafts patent applications. Now, their goal is to get all the US companies to do patent drafting through their Indian subsidiary. The problem is the, nobody wants to draft work with a company in India that can't also file the patent applications. So my parent company came to me and said, we need to be affiliated with a US-based law firm. Can you set up the Colson Law Group? So we set that up about six or eight months ago. So now we essentially do patent prosecution, patent litigation, you know, not just patents, trademarks, copyrights, all kinds of intellectual property stuff. Now, because we're also a Buffalo-based company and I have a ton of relationships here after being here my whole life, we also do some more normal stuff like um, real estate closings and divorce mediation and stuff that a normal firm would do. And essentially, we've brought in lawyers who do that sort of work. But I just focus my time on the legal side on intellectual property. All right. So let's get to why this. Why is this important information for business owners? Why, why yeah. they need to protect themselves? What yeah, is, yeah. Great the question. So I'll give you basically. So, so intellectual property are basically... When people think of it, they think of patents, copyrights, trademarks, and trade secrets, intangible assets. So patents, what is it? Patent is a right, it's a document. You own, you get an invention. I come up with a, a cell phone. This cell phone probably has 50 or 100 patentable things associated with it. So every time you come up with an invention, you can get a patent if you are new, useful, and non-obvious. So in other words, no one else has done it before. But what it really gives you the right to do is prevent other people from copying you. Mm 
And why is that so valuable? Especially for small companies. Because if you are a small company and you're making a product and delivering it to the marketplace, the number one thing you have at risk is if you succeed, someone will copy you. Right. Someone with more resources, yeah, better distribution, bigger, better, yeah. stronger, all those yeah, things, they'll just crush you. Yeah, yeah, they'll put you out of business. So how can you stay in business if you're a small company and you've got this cool new product? Well, one way is sell your business to a big company that has the resources to protect themselves. The second way is to get patents. Patents used to be considered the great equalizer. In the Wild West, the great equalizer was the Colt 45, right? Yep. Because a guy like me, who's only five feet, seven inches tall on my best day, could compete with the guy who's 6'4 if I have a Colt 45, right? Well, that's the same mentality as a guy who's like a small company of 10 employees, like me, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I have an invention that I don't want copied. I want to get to market first, but then I want to stay at the, in the marketplace. I don't want to get overwhelmed by a company that's got bigger everything, more distribution, more salespeople, more efficient uh, production, so I can get a patent. And that gives me the legal right to prevent them, prevent them from making, using, selling, and offering my invention for sale in whatever country I have a patent. But small business, uh, Jane or Joe, isn't that expensive? That's the first it's, thing they yeah, would say. It's well, here's why. It's, oh, it's expensive. I mean, it's not, it's not something you can do willy-nilly. You need to pick your patents that are going to be the right ones. Because here's the problem. You get a patent in the U.S., it's, I don't know, 10 grand, let's say, to prepare, file, and, and prosecute your patent application. Maybe more. Maybe a little bit less, but around 10000 then you want to get protection in China, maybe. You want to get protection in the EU. You want to get protection in Switzerland and places in South America. You have to think very carefully about where you want to deliver your product and where you want protection because patents are only good in the country that you get the patent, ah. right? So it could get very expensive very quickly, which is why you need to have an IP strategy. So, so let's get back to that, right? I'm a small company. What do I need to know before I can have an IP strategy? I need to know what IP is. Mm. I need to know how to work with this animal, right? Because if I spend too much money on patents, I won't have enough money to go to the marketplace and build marketing, hire you guys to get my word out there, right? So you have to be smart about patents, copyrights, trademarks, trade secrets, because if you're not smart about it, either A, you won't get into it, which means you'll be crushed in the marketplace, or B, you will get into it wrong and you'll be crushed because you'll run out of money. Mm. So to me, being savvy about IP, then having the right patent lawyer. Because, you know, patent lawyers, one of the problems with all lawyers is they're not business people. Yes, they're in business, but they think of themselves, and they should, as craftsmen or, or you know, weapons sometimes. Or, but they're not thinking of it in terms of a business. They've never brought products to the marketplace. One of the great advantages that we have is we've brought software, services, to the marketplace as business people. We've filed patent applications. I've, my name is on five patents of my own as an inventor. So one of the nice things I like about it, the marketplace is I'm on the inventor side, I'm on the business leader side, and I'm on the lawyer side, which means I bring one fundamental thing to the table that a lot of law firms can't bring, which is perspective. Yeah. You know, I can help counsel you not just on how to get a patent, but why to get a patent, where to get a patent, how much budget you should set up for patenting so you don't crush your marketing department, you know? Makes sense. So, all right, so what about, um, so what about things in our world? Um, we're talking with client A and we're like, we have a really cool idea. It's a marketing idea. It's not, okay, it's not a right. patented product, but it's, um, 
a slogan, it's a logo, it's the name of their business. Uh, we rename them. Right. Um, you know, and we think it's really going to connect. That's our idea. I hope it's going to connect. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But should we be protecting that? How do we protect Yeah, I mean, so, that okay, the same so. Idea? Yeah, so let's say you have patents, they protect like things, typically. Right. You know, you're like right. uh, this, yeah. inventions, yep. right? And copyrights protect the written audio or visual embodiment of an idea. A book, a screenplay, a video, a white paper, website graphics, all that is the, the subject of copyrights, right? And what you can do with a copyright is keep people from copying it or making derivative works, like taking your thing and changing it yeah. a little bit and going to the marketplace. Or you talked about logos, those are trademarks. Right. And trademarks are essentially protect the origin or source of an idea so that they're, they're telling the marketplace who made this thing, you know? They're letting the marketplace associate this product with the maker of it. So that's why knockoffs are so dangerous because let's say that I have a, um, a, a, a handbag that I go to the marketplace with and it's great quality and I spend way too much money on stitching and zippers and whatever else goes into a handbag, right? And I create a great following. People want to buy it because it lasts forever and it's cool and it's easy to carry around and it's light or whatever it is. Then a company in another country starts knocking me off and puts my brand on their product. So let's say I call it the uh, brand bag, right? And they call it the brand bag with two N's or with an extra D. Mm -hmm. And people don't notice it. So now two problems happen. Number one, I lose sales because someone goes to the marketplace and they say, wow, Tom's bag is $1,000. This bag's only $100. I'm going to buy this bag. But two, after they buy it and they think it's mine and it's terrible quality, my reputation gets destroyed. So people put a lot of money into their trademarks, but it's not just getting registration. It's more important that you use it in the marketplace as a trademark. So for example, if I have a trademark on my bag, my handbag, my purse, what I want to do with that is put it on all my purses in a prominent way that people see it's my trademark. Now, do you need to file a trademark registration? Do you have to spend money on that? Probably not right away because you get trademark rights from using it in commerce before you get trademark rights from registration. So even if you never get a registration, you still have trademark rights. That's where, and, and that's where, when, when it come, comes to marketing or advertising a service, right? It's completely invisible. It's a service. That is where I'd heard, you know, if you, if something catches on and you're already using it, does that become your intellectual property? Yeah, in a, a trademark sense. Yeah, but I didn't trade. I didn't do anything. I didn't yeah, no, slogan mark. I didn't do it's, anything. It's, it, just think of it this way: if it's registered, you could put a circle R. Right. If it's just a common law trademark that we call it, it's yeah. just TM. Could I just put TM without registering it? You should put saying? TM. You do. You okay. should immediately put TM. You do. As soon as you start using a term or yeah. a graphic or even a color. You know, yep. there are people that have gotten color trademarks. There's actually some company that got a trademark on a scent. A thread company in California, like 1992 or something, mm -hmm. got a trademark on the scent of their, their thread. Now, you can't mark your scent, yeah, you? but you can mark the packaging, gotcha. you know? So you mark it right away. As soon as you start using it in commerce, put TM on it. Okay. And then over time, decide if you want to go to a law firm that'll help you get a registered trademark, because there are additional advantages to having a registered trademark that are useful. But 
you can't even get a registered trademark unless you're using it in commerce. So the prerequisite to getting a trademark is use in commerce. Really? So start doing that right away and market with TM. Then when you get a registration, you could put Circle R, which is probably a little cooler, yeah, but right. it gives you a few extra rights, but you're marking both as your trademark, so, so you should be happy with you know, getting get into the marketplace yeah. and start using it in commerce. So it has to be in commerce. Okay, what if it's, uh, it's an idea that is the spoken word? It's, uh, it's, you, you utilize, I mean, you would utilize it on your web, but, but someone could steal uh, a concept that you had in a radio ad. I can't read that. I can see it. So how do you trademark that? Well, keep in mind, trademarks are not about protecting concepts. Okay. Okay. Trademarks are about protecting your brand identity. Okay. Right? So, so if, you're, if you give up an idea, so if I have an idea for an invention, that would be more about patents. patents. Or if I have a, like I said, copyrights protect the written verbal, I'm sorry, the, it's gotta be recorded. So it's the written audio or visual embodiment of an idea. So, so trademarks are all about protecting your brand identity. Got that's it. what that's about. I got it. So trademark, there's a big difference. Yeah, so if you're on the yeah, so if you're on the radio and you give yeah. up an idea and then someone takes it, well, you have to figure out what idea it is that was taken. Is right. it a patentable idea? It couldn't be copyright because you can't copyright something unless it's recorded in some way. And if it's trademark, they can't take your idea because trademarks aren't ideas. They're just brand identity. So right. you want to spread that. And if they copy it, you can sue them for trademark infringement. What if you have an idea, which by the way, we do, uh, for the jewelry industry? It's a, it's a brand idea. So, and what we're worried about is we think it's a really high, great idea. We're a small company. You present that to Jeweler A, yeah. the next thing you know... They're taking it. Yeah, so how do you protect yourself? When someone in the marketing world or they have an idea and they want to pitch it, yeah, so, how do you pitch it and protect yourself? Well, yeah, something? that's a challenge. One, so in that case, it's probably not patentable right. because typically these things aren't, although it might be. I mean, it's not... I couldn't know until you told me yeah. the idea, which we don't want to do on camera right now, but it could be. But in all likelihood, you're thinking about copyrights then. Yes. So you're copywriting your, your presentation. You can, yeah. you can actually file a copyright registration. Okay. So you can get copyright protection. The other thing you could use, if they're willing to do it, is NDAs, non-disclosure yep. agreements. Yep. Now, the problem with non-disclosure agreements is most people you're pitching won't sign them. Mm -hmm. I certainly wouldn't because you need me more than I need you. Right, so if somebody comes to you to, and says, hey, I want to pitch you my idea, you say, go ahead, and they say, well, first I want to, you to sign an NDA, you'll say, no, because number one, I don't even know if your idea is any good. Right. Two, I might already have your idea, right? Three, you gotta push, you gotta give me a lot more information as to why I care about your idea before I'm willing to put myself at legal risk by signing your NDA. But you might be able to get someone to sign an NDA. It can't hurt to ask. If it's, but if I have it copyrighted, then I don't have to worry about it, right? Right. I can pitch it to whomever. That's it, it, right, except remember though, copyrights don't protect ideas. They protect the written, visual, or audio embodiment of an idea. Uh, so that means if they take your concept yeah. and they put a new program together around it. With different words? Different words, different visuals. They take your concept, Sorry. you're not protected. But if they take your stuff, right? They take your written, right. visual, audio embodiment of your idea, then you can, uh, you can bring an action for copyright infringement. Got it. Then you're legally protected, right? Right. So you should definitely be doing that in the marketing industry. Copyrights have to be a fact of life. 
Yeah. So, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't think it is. A lot, a lot of it's not done in Buffalo. That's good for you because that means you'll be doing it and you'll have yeah. an advantage over everyone. Well, now I've got the right. attorney. <laughs> That's right. So, exactly. You know, That's right. That's how this stuff works. I mean, right? ultimately, if you're in a small business, you should have intellectual property counsel that you can chat with about your ideas because it's. Yeah, you should absolutely get training. And, you know, that's one thing we do. We provide the marketplace. We started with intellectual property fundamentals training, right? Because everyone on earth needs to understand the fundamentals of intellectual property if you're in business. If you just want to sit in a cave, you know, and not do business, you don't need to know about it. But if you, you, can't, you can't be in business today without understanding the fundamentals of intellectual property. I don't care what your business is. You should understand these fundamentals. And one way is have an attorney that you can speak with. Another way is get trained, you know. But even if you're trained, you still need to interact with an attorney. What being trained does is it helps you to know when to call the attorney, right? Because otherwise, issues will fly by you and you won't even know you've missed anything. And then before you know it, you've been overrun by somebody who took your idea that's not protected. And right. they're bigger and stronger and meaner than you. And suddenly you're lost. So have counsel. Available to you. Know. Yeah, I mean, it costs money. You have to pay lawyers, of course, but... Really? Yeah, that's the problem. There's hardly anybody in business that doesn't have to pay their lawyer. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Uh, Tom Colson, it is executive IP. Uh, the guy, and the Colson Law Group. And the Colson Law Group. The, the guy's got an amazing background and obviously a lot of knowledge. And a lot of what I appreciate, too, is your passion for learning, passion, but your passion for what you do. It comes across. We believe in authentic storytelling, and you, 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 it's authenticity that comes across. You really enjoy it. And I think anyone, when you hire somebody, you want to make sure they're digging what they're doing. They like you what they're doing. You are so right. And you're on it. Number one quality in hiring is you got to hire people that want to do it. They want to be in this. They don't just we, want a job. They want to They want to be a part of the mission. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. I really, really right. enjoyed it, and I hope we can have you back again sometime. Absolutely. That's Anytime. It, that's it for now on Sidewalk Talk.